Hi everyone and welcome to Wholeness with Hannah, a podcast to remind you that your personal whole is the only goal. Feeling whole and aligned can mean totally different things to different people. Give yourself permission to love what you love, feel what you feel and believe that you deserve everything that you want just because you want it. Me and my guests discuss all things mental, physical, spiritual and financial health alongside tools, practices and concepts that can help to enhance the everyday experience of life. I can't promise that we won't go a little off topic at times because I warn you now, I'm a bit of a talker, but I hope this podcast leaves you a little more equipped than it found you. Nobody else is you and that is your power. Now let's get into this week's episode. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Wholeness with Hannah. This week I'm joined by another Hannah, (laughs) Hannah Whiteley. She is a registered nutritionist and international athlete representing Scotland in lacrosse. She started her journey studying sports science which led her on to pursuing a master's in human nutrition. After a few years working within the obesity field she merged her passion for sport with nutrition and started a diploma in performance nutrition. She noticed a huge gap in the care for women suffering with hyperphalactic hypothalamic amenorrhea which is HA referred to as HA and we will be calling it HA in this episode or relative energy deficiency in sport and couldn't believe how common it was in your everyday recreational female athletes she now specializes in supporting women to regain their periods through nutrition and tailored exercise to get them back to optimal health and fertility it's a pleasure to have her here today so welcome to the pod Hannah and great name <laughs> great name <laughs> um yeah thanks so much for having me and giving me the space to kind of talk about HA and Red S and I think it's something that so many women can relate to but oh unless you've kind of gone through it yourself or you study it not many people know about it yeah or the importance of even having a healthy menstrual cycle yeah. so I think yeah it's a really great topic to talk about okay so to start with so you have a master's in human nutrition yeah. so before we get into the HA and everything can you just give us a few tips for basic nutrition for every, sure. the average mega babe on the street. Sure. <laughs> for you mega babes out there. Um, absolutely. And I actually think this is a really good question because at the moment, the nutrition world's gone a bit mad. Like there's tracking your blood glucose, there's avoiding certain foods that you know are, are inflammatory and whatever it might be. And actually, nutrition can be so basic if you just strip yeah. it back go to the basics and any registered nutritionist or dietitian, what we are saying isn't sexy or groundbreaking, like all these stuff on other podcasts that are just a bit misleading, but they're clickbait. So I would say to strip it back, look at your three meals a day. What do they look like? Are they the same size? Uh, do they have the same macronutrients in them? So they should be the same size. They should be the same size. Yeah. yeah, we want you use the same amount of energy throughout the day. We don't just use all our energy in the evening. So we need to be fueling for the day ahead. Yeah, actually, when you think about that, dinner, mm-hmm. which I, I feel like people think of as the biggest meal, Yeah, should it be the opposite? Considering well, like what we're doing in the evening, we're eating dinner and then... Some of it going to bed. Yeah, well, they should really just be the same right. because we we fuel and recover when we eat. Um, and we also need to be getting the same distribution of macronutrients. And actually, if you compare breakfast food and dinner foods, they're completely different. Yeah. So you think like porridge, cereals, toast for breakfast, and then you think like meats, pulses, like pasta for dinner. Mm. So if you're actually skimping out on one of those meals, you're missing macro macronutrients that yeah. you wouldn't really get from the other meals. So strip it back, make sure they're the same size. And that's also going to help with things like cravings in, the, cravings in the evening. So a lot of people will, you know, go crazy after dinner and eat loads and not control themselves. Yeah. And actually, if you just look at what you ate in the morning 
And if you've not eaten enough in the office throughout the day, that's why you have cravings in the evening because your body's like, sorry, we didn't get enough food today. So we need to get it all now. That is, I can really relate to that. Like when I think, when you said about the office, when I think back to when I had a very desk-based job a few years ago, my diet, it was really hard to be good with it because mm. I'd wake up so early and I wouldn't be hungry mm-hmm. uh, and I'd probably have coffees before I'd eaten anything. Yeah. Yeah. And then I would have breakfast at my desk so it would be whatever I could get in the office and then I'd have a really early lunch because I'd been up since like 5.36. Yeah. And then lunch would be big and it would then make me sluggish. Because yeah. like, to be honest, lunch was like the, the highlight of the day. Yeah. So like it's I wanted something break. nice. And then I'd go home, I'd have dinner. And it, yeah, I just feel like it was harder to be healthy. And also I wasn't moving hardly at all because I was sitting at a desk all day. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I am so much more into what I eat and how it makes me feel. Yes, yeah. 100%. And I actually think that's a really good point. And a lot of what I see in clients I work with or just friends is say you work in the office or you go out for big lunches with clients or whatever it might be a lot of people will then not eat dinner or they'll have a smaller breakfast and you kind of get into a bit of a vicious cycle with not necessarily binge restriction but that kind of pattern around and like not you don't deserve a big dinner because you had a big lunch at you know with the people you're working with or whatever it might be and then that creeps into your daily life and then you start to think about food differently and it starts to disrupt your relationship with food and actually you always deserve your next meal your meal should always be balanced and you don't need to have a smaller meal because you had a bigger meal because you're not always going to have bigger meals at lunchtime for example so one big lunch is fine and just the next thing to do is have your next meal and not get into that cycle of well I can't have that because I had I use up too much energy in the day which I hit all the time um so yeah it just making sure basics three good well-balanced main meals no matter what's happened in the day helps your relationship with food helps your fueling and gets all the nutrients you need for that day yeah that's great but what about then if you have say you have actually had a really big lunch because you did go out with a client or you met your friends and whatever would you then say, what if that person says, oh, I'm not that hungry in the evening because yeah. I had a big lunch? Yeah, and, you know, that is fine. And I would say listen to your body. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you if it's the physical signs of fullness and satiety, listen to your body. Okay. Absolutely. Still have something because we don't want to go too long fasted. And actually, we'll touch on that when we yeah. start to talk about HA and mm-hmm. red S. We don't want to go too long without eating. But um, still, yeah, so still having something but listening to your body. But if the reason you're not having dinner is because you feel guilt for having that big lunch, that's something to address, yeah. Okay. And what are your thoughts on caffeine before food? Because I know that we live in such a busy world and everyone's drinking coffee. Would you recommend food before caffeine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The old saying, hydrate before you caffeinate, is good. (laughs) Get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, I should print that out. Um, And... Is really important. So first thing you need, you do, you need to hydrate because you haven't had anything for eight hours. And coffee's hydra- a dehydrating anyway, isn't it? Coffee, it doesn't dehydrate you, but it's a diuretic. So okay. it makes you pee. Yeah, like so, tea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so definitely hydrate first. And also I would delay the caffeine until about like mid-morning because your cortisol is highest in the morning when you wake up. So if you it's let... Like the stress hormone. Your stress hormone, yeah. yeah. And it's a good thing. It's meant to fluctuate throughout the day. So it's high in the morning to wake us up. And you can actually kind of blunt that response a little bit or not be as in tuned with it if you have caffeine straight away. So what you want to do is allow your cortisol levels to wake you up Mm -hmm. and, you know, ride that wave 
And then in the morning, like 10 a.m., 11 a.m., have that coffee, that's fine. And you'll actually feel more energized from that coffee than you would have if you had it first thing in the morning. Yeah. Get more like bang for your buck for your caffeine. Yeah, I do that now. I always have breakfast. And then when I get to work, if I'm in the office, I will then have, I actually have matcha now. I don't really even drink yeah. coffee much anymore. But like thinking back to my old lifestyle, oh my God, I would have a coffee <laughs> at like 6 a.m. Yeah. And then I would go to work and have another coffee before I'd even eaten. And yeah, no wonder I felt rubbish. Yeah. Um, okay, great. So if we're staying on that a little bit, what is the most common misconception around food, food groups and things like that that you get asked about by people? Yeah, so it's so interesting actually, because in today's climate, there's a lot more food positivity, mm. but there's still so much remnants of like demonizing carbs and fats. Yes. I would say is the most common one. And for women... They're probably so important. Everyone idolizes protein. Protein is like the sexy macronutrient we all want to talk about. Everyone gets enough protein. Like, you're so fine. That's not the one we're concerned about. Carbs are so important because we need to be thinking about what's our body's predominant energy source. And that's carbohydrates. So we need to get enough carbs and that's going to fuel us for the day. It's also going to provide B vitamins, fibers for the day. But then also fats, especially for women in the context of HA that we could touch on. Fats are so important for hormone production because they produce the cholesterol that contributes to making those hormones. Um, and they also support vitamin absorption. So, you know, our fat soluble vitamins, they also they almost piggyback on the back of these fats. So okay. if you have a salad and you don't put any dressing on it, all those vitamins and minerals in that salad are less likely to be as absorbed as if you put some olive oil over them. So you get more out of your food by including fats on there as well. So really important. Also so important for our brain health as well. If we want to be on that longevity train, get your healthy fats in. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, in terms of fat, healthy fats and carbs then, what do you re- what are some types of food that you recommend? Because white carbs, how do you feel about white carbs? Should we only be eating brown carbs? So this is very context dependent. As an athlete, white carbs and refined foods like you know, squares bars and cereal bars and Mm. stuff like that that gets a bit demonized can be so helpful because if you think before going on a run or training or a game, you don't want to be having whole grain fibrous foods because they're going to take a long time to digest. Yeah, they're slower to release, aren't they? Exactly, which might be good if you're sitting at desk all day, Mm. but if you're actually training, you don't want to be trying to digest that. Okay. So something quick to digest and carby is great. So in that context, fine. In a normal everyday context where, you know, you're going to sit at a desk or you might be training in a few hours, not immediately, your whole grain carbs are the ones you want to go for. So like your brown rice, pasta, oats, things like that, because you're going to have a more sustained energy um, level throughout the day and you're getting that added fiber. Okay, great. Yeah. I, I actually prefer brown carbs, the taste of them. I, agree. I didn't used to. Yeah. I used to love like white bread and stuff when I was younger. But yeah, I actually quite like the nuttiness. I agree. Yeah. I was just going to say the nuttiness <laughs> of them. Yeah. Okay, healthy fats then. Is that like avocado, nuts, olive oil? Yes. So there's two types of healthy fats. Um, there's a monounsaturated fatty mm-hmm. acids, which is like you said, your avocados, oils, nuts and seeds, those types of things. So those are really important, but also the polyunsaturated fatty acids, which is like your fatty fish. Um, so like salmon, mackerel, sardines, things mm. like that. Um, and so this is a bit nerdy, but as a nutritionist, I obviously have a favorite nutrient. Yeah. And that's it. DHA. So it, that? it's an omega-3. So everyone's heard of omega-3. And there's two. There's DHA, EPA. And DHA is really cool because it goes straight to your brain and it's the most abundant fatty acid in your brain. Okay. So it's really important to try and hit your omega-3s. So 
two portions of fatty fish a week or an omega-3 supplement if you don't eat a lot of fish uh, because it's really important for reducing cognitive decline as we get older, so memory loss, things like that. But there's also some evidence out there to suggest that it can re- prevent or delay the onset of Alzheimer's disease as well. Okay. So again, get on that longevity train. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, so can you take that in a tablet as well? Yes, you can take omega-3. And the thing to look for in that is that it's got the DHA EPA portions in it. So it's not just kind of, a lot of these supplements tend to put a lot of um, monounsaturated fatty acids in there, which is, you know, fine. But if we're looking at the benefits of this omega-3 DHA EPA, other things that we want to be making sure it's got in them. Okay, great, thanks. And on, okay, maybe fats that we should avoid. I know it's yeah. contextual and everyone's different and everyone's bodies are different, but are there anything that stands out that, that, that is actually just generally not good for you? Yeah, so there's two more types of fats. Mm. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> uh, there's the saturated fats and the trans fats. Yeah. So these are the fats that I think people lump together as demonizing fats, avoid these fats altogether. And so saturated fats are the things that would be in like um, processed meat, like bacon, sausages. Right. And there's some in red meat as well. Not to say to avoid them completely, but just to say if we're going to get our protein intake from somewhere, let's make it like lean cuts of meat or some fatty fish rather than these rather than these processed meats. Um, And then trans fats are things in like your margarines, your like cakes okay. biscuits those types of things oh, they're good though. They taste yeah they're good, good. and you know what they've got their place they're foods yeah. for the soul i have a, i have a cake when i want a cake yeah i just don't have that's part of day. being an adult you realize yeah. that you don't need an occasion to buy a cake no mm. cupcakes are my thing yeah <laughs> get that <laughs> it's soul food and they've got their place and actually and they just can... look so nice <laughs> so aesthetic yeah. and they've got their place and i think the minute that you start to avoid those completely and demonize any types of food is when you start to crave them most so to have a balanced diet you need to plan for these foods and incorporate them and have them in a healthy way alongside a balanced diet rather than completely avoiding them being almost like a fear food yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. Balance. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Okay. So you spent some time working in obesity. Yes. Yeah. What were your main? What were the main findings from that? Yeah. This was really interesting. This was straight out of uni, thinking that my knowledge of flavonoids was going to be groundbreaking for all the people I work with. Right. Um, which was not the case. I think working in the obesity field, I worked in childhood obesity. It was really eye-opening that the tiniest of changes were going to have a huge impact in a real-life context. I think your a nutrition degree teaches you a lot about nutrition, but not a lot about how to be a nutritionist. Yeah. And so there were loads of That's real... That's like a lot of degrees, I think. Yes. Yeah. How do you actually do the yeah, thing as a I job? Think it, you, sometimes you need the degree to go into the field, but you learn on the job, don't you? 100%. Yeah. So what I learned was, you know, telling these families, oh, you just need to add more blueberries because that's got this antioxidant in them and it's really good for X, Y, Z. That would mean nothing in their context because the pe- the real life world and the people that you work with, their biggest concern is keeping a house over the uh, roof over their family's heads, yeah. you know, and paying bills, trying to find, get their school, their kids in education. Yeah. Those are their priorities. So me coming in and trying to do these silly little tweaks that I learned on my degree, we're not going to help. So you really learn that socioeconomic status has is a huge driver for mm-hmm. obesity because there are food deserts, so they don't have availability to a lot of healthy foods that, you know, we could go to Budgeons on Upper Street <laughs> and get these things. Um, but a lot of people don't have that availability. They don't have the education around cooking or the resources to cook yeah. these foods or the time. 
people are working many jobs. So, um, yeah. And healthy food is expensive. It can be, yeah, without proper planning or education around it. So, yeah, that's a huge driver for obesity. So I used to struggle a lot when people would find out that I worked in the obesity field and blame parents for their child having obesity. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Although, yeah, the, the parent is the provider of the food, there's... The fact that they can get some food on the table is their biggest achievement, yeah, really. Like so they're doing the best they can. Exactly. So it's a system issue. We need to kind of address, you know, that um, inequality around food availability and education. There's so many drivers to it. Um, and like working with a family for 12 weeks, one of the biggest changes we'd make would be a breakfast cereal. Can we put half Cocoa Pops, half Rice, Rice Krispies and with half the sugar content of their breakfast? Yeah. And that was huge for them. So it's what can we do in a real life context that's practical for this family that's going to have an outcome yeah. rather than trying to be all groundbreaking and sexy with our education. Yeah, and it's tough, isn't it? Because as a child, that's when you're building your belief system as yes. well about one, about how you feel about yourself and what your beliefs around food mm-hmm. and that if that's what you've grown up with, that's what's normal to you. And it's yeah. quite hard to break that when you're, you become more in go into like being an adult isn't it yeah 100 percent. that actually ties in nicely we we spoke quickly before this podcast about mm. almond mums yes you hadn't heard what, I, hadn't, I hadn't heard this term <laughs> so what is it again uh, so an almond mum okay. is um basically a mum that might have gone through a lot of diets when you were a kid you see them dieting a lot and maybe they even talk to you about the diets you shouldn't eat that that's high in fat or you'll see them eating like just a plate like a a sad salad for lunch and they'll try to get you to do that too and then when you become an adult you're like wait hold on why is my relationship with food so messed up or why do I have a fear of fats and actually if you look back your at mom your did. childhood yeah it's because you had an almond mum so wow. it's trying to unpick that and realize that oh wait is that fact or is that just something that I grew up with and saw every single day as a child yeah because also for these mums that's come from somewhere from them yeah. for them as well. Was it from their mum? It's like, has it been passed down through generations or has something happened where, you know, it could be how they feel about their body, how they feel mm-hmm. about from something someone said to them when they were young. So like when you actually unpick it all, it's come from somewhere. Yeah, hasn't absolutely. It? Yeah, I think when our parents were in their 20s or whatever it might have been, there was a lot of diet culture. Yeah. There was like, I mean, in the 90s, it was that, um, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels I saying is, and yeah. it was really toxic and yeah. I think there's been an amazing body positivity movement in our generation yeah. and so I think that's why we can reflect on it and be like that's so messed up yeah. what so you know my mum used to say or whatever it might be because um, these almond mums aren't getting their nutrients they are not <laughs> they're not getting those vitamins from their fat soluble yeah. vitamins have you do you have that any like clients that you're like wow okay I know what's going on here you've had one of these almond mums. Yes, absolutely. And you have clients that when we go through recovery together, obviously we're increasing the energy, we're increasing the carbs, we're undoing all this diet culture, and you'll still get parents commenting on their recovery nutrition saying, "Oh, just make sure that you, you know, you're a bit careful of weight gain there." And it's like, "Oh my goodness, like we can't keep talking like this, especially when And how does that make your client feel then? Do, are they just a bit, "Oh, my mum's told me that I shouldn't eat that." Yeah, and you know what? It's to talk about the fact that that's not a comment on you personally. That's a projection on yes. what they fear. Yeah. So they fear that if they were to eat that much, they would gain weight yeah. and that scares them. Yeah. It's not a projection on you and it's not to say, oh, you're gaining weight and it's not to say, you know, 
be careful because you're looking a bit yeah it's their own fear of if they were to do they they exactly. feel uncomfortable doing that they wouldn't do it exactly that but that goes around with like as we were talking about before mm. the podcast as well like if you're doing something that someone else wouldn't necessarily do in their life mm-hmm that's a bit, I don't like, I'm not like triggering for them because yeah. they're like, this is making me uncomfortable. You're doing something that's out of my comfort zone and I don't like that. Yeah. And that's, that's again, that's their internal belief system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, to- I totally know what you mean. And I can imagine like if you're working on your recovery anyway, on your, your nutrition and your mum is a bit like, oh, mm-hmm. are you sure you want to eat that? That is not helpful. Exactly. Yeah. So it's about building that like core value and belief that it doesn't matter what kind of hits you or what comments are thrown at you, it can't shake you because you know that's a lifetime of work. That is a lifetime. It's a lot of talk positively about food to get there. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. So it doesn't matter what people comment or whatever. As long as you know that your education, your belief and your core value around food is stable, yeah. then they can't impact you. And as you said, like things are changing around the mm-hmm. positivity movement and there is this hope hope that, you know, the young younger generations now, as things move up, like parents will start doing these things with their children. So children's beliefs around food will mm-hmm. become more healthy, yeah. hopefully, in the generations below. Yeah. That's what we can hope, right? Oh, we can really hope. Yeah. I think there's a, a big movement towards this like positive nutrition. So what you can add into your diet that's gonna add value and nourishment and not what to take out. Yeah, like they say a colourful plate is is a good one. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I do, yeah. Eat the rainbow. I yeah. I work with kids and adults and I say the exact yeah, same that's thing. That's fun for kids as well. You yeah. can actually add some fun to it. Like make broccoli trees and things like exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And there's there is science to it. Like the different colours I mentioned flavonoids earlier. So the different colours mm. are due to these plant compounds, these phytonutrients flavonoids and they do different things colors do different things so typically like purple foods are really good for your brain okay and red foods like red cabbage yeah aubergine blueberries What's um, one of it? Oh, beetroot. I don't like beetroot. Yeah, beetroot. Can you nitrate? I can't deal with beetroot. Oh, it smells great. like the earth. It does, <laughs> but if you take it in like a little beet, I take the beet at shots. Yeah, great. I, mean, I could probably get one down, but yeah, it's oh, one thing I just I don't <laughs> like beetroot, but yeah, uh, yeah. But the health premise and like red foods are good for your heart, typically, okay. and. Uh, orange good for your eyes okay so, oh, they're carrots how you yeah, see yeah they do <laughs> I need some carrots at the moment I had laser this is off topic but I had laser eye surgery in 2015 and I'm now like oh eight years ago oh, I am no. like my eyes are getting yeah maybe just like get your carrots, carrots in get yeah carrots in. what about green food <laughs> green foods um quite high in calcium so good for your bones typically okay because everyone's always like get your greens in yeah get your greens in greens. yeah the darker the better oh okay mm-hmm. I love cavolo cavolo nero huh you don't know it. Oh my god! It's a dark green, um, like a cabbage. Oh, you know what? I actually really think I do green. know what you mean. I think I think I've just never said that word out loud. Yeah. You know when you read it. <laughs> I don't know if I said it right. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I I love greens. Anyway, that's yeah. boring. Um, okay. okay, so I think moving on from this, then you go into onto what you specialize in now. Yeah, because obviously under eating and things like that can can that cause you to lose your period and things like that so you work with women to help them regain their periods yeah so this specialty is one that I didn't think I'd ever actually go into it I mean I started in childhood obesity and then I went into the diabetes prevention program and then went into virgin active which is more corporate and then I kind of I have always done this freelance and I've worked in sports Mm. predominantly because that's you know I can really relate to that And then I just started to see more and more clients kind of popping up being like, oh, by the way, could you support NHA? Like I've lost my period. 
And then word of mouth spreads that I've helped someone regain their period and then they've got a friend that's lost theirs. And and then you just realize there's a huge gap in care and knowledge around HA, the causes of it, how to get your period back, the impact of long-term HA. So, and then as a- HA, just for everyone listening again, is hypothalamic amenorrhea. Exactly. (gasps) Yeah, you nailed it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's a type of secondary amenorrhea, which is you've had a period and you've lost it. Um, And it's just a hormonal disruption to the body. Um, But it's just a lot more common than you think. And people don't really think it's a problem because menstrual cycles can be irregular. You kind of assume that, oh, I've missed one this month. Like, oh, hormones, what they're like. Um, And people just think it's a missing bleed. And that's all it is. But there's so much more to it. You have to think of the hormones that have been disrupted and the impact that they have all around your body. Mm -hmm. So all the different systems that are going to be impacted. So... Yeah, as I got really into that. And as a female athlete myself as well, and seeing this among teammates and even going into it now, teammates coming up to me being like, oh, God, I had that for two years. Two years? Wow. Some of my clients haven't had a period for eight years. So, wow. but then you get it back in four weeks. And they're like, really? I just thought I couldn't do that anymore. And it's like, well, no, there's so many things that, well, sometimes it's just the tiniest change to to make and then it can come back. But there's not enough knowledge or, or awareness around it. So what... What actually causes, what are some of the causes of losing your period? So the cause of it, so there's three main pillars to it really. Mm -hmm. And so first of all, we need to understand that HA is a stress response in the body. So the three pillars that can contribute that are psychological stress or the stress of energy deficiency, which can be through not eating enough or excessive exercise. So that leads to low energy availability, which is how much energy is left over for your body after exercise. So some people lose their period unintentionally. They might think they're fueling enough, but they might Mm -hmm. just be fueling enough for exercise. So then there's not enough energy left over for bodily functions. and you see this through a menstrual cycle, like losing a menstrual cycle, but mm-hmm. also feeling cold all the time. We don't prioritize thermoregulation to survive. Mm-hmm. So the, the stress response is a survival mechanism. So we don't need a menstrual cycle. We don't need to, you know, be hot or cold properly, whatever it might be. And also a massive symptom of this is IBS. So people think like, oh, I've just, I've got IBS, whatever. But actually there might be in low energy availability. So our body is not prioritizing smooth digestion. It's not essential to survive. We can figure it out a little bit. Um, but yeah, as soon as you get them back into energy availability, they're like, oh, wait, I don't have IBS. I can digest normally. I'm going to the loo regularly. Um, so it's not just a bleed that happens. There's so many different things. Yeah, that's so interesting. What about then if you are on the pill? Yeah. Or something like that. I'm just thinking about my own experience because when you said IBS, I used to have really bad IBS, but I think it was linked to stress when I was in my previous jobs. Yeah. But I was on the pill for these years. So yeah. I didn't know if I was having a normal cycle. Mm-hmm. So what what's the link between, if, you, if you're on the pill, yeah. you're having a, you know? a fake period, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so other things to look for, because the menstrual cycle is obviously the easiest thing to look for and having a healthy menstrual cycle is like the sign of optimal health in a woman like you we love that but if you're on the pill it's harder to spot and the pill can all like mask um yeah that's what I was thinking. yeah and okay. um, because you think you're having a regular cycle but actually the bleeding on the pill is a withdrawal bleed from the hormones on the pill yeah, yeah. so it's not a real period so things to look for would be like feeling cold all the time poor digestion low libido um if we don't have 
high estrogen when we're ovulating yeah. is when we have a high libido because we're like let's have a baby <laughs> on that just overshare here guys but um my stardust app i use i i'm not on the pillow or anything and i have a regular cycle yeah. it's all back to normal and it's great um but today it said my little comment on the app is your estrogen is booming today you're gonna feel amazing I can't remember it was quite funny and I was like I feel buzzing yeah (laughs) so estrogen is the one estrogen (laughs) is the one and with HJ you have really low estrogen yeah so you don't have the highs you go to the toilet a lot as in we does it make you wee a lot if you have if you've got low estrogen? Yes, so it's yeah, actually quite that's interesting. Why I used to have as well. Yeah, so in HA, that's another symptom is peeing all the time because it can impact impact the lining of your bladder. Wow, that's what I definitely had that. I used yeah. to have that years ago. Yeah, I but the big thing all, is, I used to wake up in the night three times. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's a, a big sign. Um, yeah, so it's a whole body disruption, uh, but the good thing is it's reversible. Right. As you can probably relate to mm. with your own experience, and well, um, I didn't even know this. I was just it's when I've come off the pill, my cycles are now back regular, mm-hmm. and but I take care of myself now, and I'm not stressed, and I get enough sleep, and I eat the right things. So, yeah. and I did do that for the last couple of years. So when I've come off the pill, it, my body slowly got back to its normal cycle. Exactly, yeah. And, and I've just told me I'm in optimal health, so yeah, this is great. Thriving, <laughs> um, yeah. And to, to know that you're like a regular menstruator and everything's good, you need to have three months of a regular cycle. Um, And coming off the pill, I think this is where a lot of confusion happens. I've had clients come to me and say, I haven't had a period for a year. I went to the doctor and they said... after coming off the pill? So this is after coming off the pill. I went to the doctor and they said that I've got post-pill amenorrhea. So, you know, that is true to a certain extent. It can take a few months to become a bit more regular because your brain needs to start talking to your ovaries again because Mm -hmm. that connection connection. was cut Mm -hmm. on the pill. Um, so that's fair, but it does not take a year. Yeah. It should take a few months. Mine took a month. Exactly. Yeah, it can be quick. It shouldn't take more than three months. I, I will say this is overshare, <laughs> but also we're talking about it. Um, it took. It came back within a month, but it's definitely got. It took about six months to get heavier, like to yeah. get like a proper a proper period. Yeah, yeah, and that's just your brain and your ovaries trying yeah. to talk to each other again and figure itself out. So. And, you know, the things that you do for your cycle now. So there's a lot of, like, nutrition around your menstrual cycle that we can do. And that all starts to impact your menstrual cycle in, like, the next three months. Just the way that your body kind of prepares itself. Okay. So it's not to say that anything you do right now can impact your menstrual cycle now. It could take a few cycles to see it. Okay. So what kind of things do you do with your clients to get to get their menstrual cycle back? So we have to address the underlying cause because, like I said, there's three pillars to it. There's the stress, there's under-eating, and there's excessive exercise. I guess it's like any issue, mental as well, like getting to the root is, yeah, is the issue. Yeah, we got to dig. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we got to look at that. And I would actually say nine times out of ten, it's all three because right. there's yeah I guess they they weave into each other exactly the under eating and exercise can really come together a lot and that causes stress yeah. or the stress has caused them to gain control somehow by yes. eating okay. like controlling what they're eating and exercising um also everyone's running a marathon nowadays right. so I would actually say the main I hear the same story every time and it is lockdown happened I got into running I did lots of hit workouts right. I lost those of weight and then I was like, oh, I might keep losing weight. Yeah. And then that's when the restrictive eating comes in. And then now every woman and their dog is running a marathon or an ultra marathon. Yeah. So, um, and Which it's is a lot on your body. It's a lot. And if you don't pair that with the proper nutrition and planning, mm-hmm. you might follow a training plan. You need to follow the same for nutrition. That needs to increase with your training demand. And so there's a bit more awareness around the importance of exercise and training for your body, but less around nutrition. Yeah, that's And true. I think... 
people don't realize how much food you need to eat for a marathon or these crazy ultra marathons and people feel a bit ashamed of eating that much or embarrassed to eat more than their partners or their friends when you go out for dinner or whatever it might be but if you're training for that event you need a lot more than your standard person yeah definitely um so yeah it's it's identifying what the cause has been whether it's unintentional sometimes it's intentional yeah or as you've said like it was unintentional to start with yes and then they're like I'm gonna keep this up exactly um also a lot of this ties into their identity so when I think a lot of people associate being a female athlete with losing a period and that's kind of what comes with the territory and I think when people start to regain their period, they lose a bit of that identity because they're like, well, actually, this really validated that I was an athlete in a weird wow, way. That's not good. Yeah. It? So it's trying to say you can be an athlete. The element and, of it is like, I'm only a good athlete if I've lost my period. Yeah. Or, and it validates you're working hard, for yeah, example, God, which okay. is not the case. Yeah. You can have it all. You can be an athlete. You can eat well you can have a proper menstrual cycle they and you'll be a better athlete yeah, 100%. you won't be injured low estrogen is a huge risk for um, osteoporosis and bone loss of bone mineral density and so if you're someone that's getting stress fractures injured all the time look at your nutrition yeah um and also you can train with your cycle you need to work with your body this is what i do now. yes so i read Maisie hill's book period power yes oh my goodness it has changed my life so mm-hmm. I read it as I was about to come off the pill because I thought you know what I'm you know this is this is what I'm going to do now and I love the way she explains that your cycle is spring yes. summer autumn and winter mm-hmm. and I literally live around that and actually the podcast I won't record a podcast when I'm in my winter yes because I, or, or autumn really I try mm-hmm. and avoid even the end of autumn yes which is like the run up to your period because mm-hmm. my energy is not there and yep. I just want to rest and like today I'm going into I'm in summer. spring no nearly not even in summer yet we're in spring the lead up to summer and like I've got all the energy and I was yeah. really excited but I can I really live around my cycle now yes. and don't get me wrong there are times where I can't avoid it so like if I've got something on and I'm, I actually go and I check my calendar what I'm going to be in and I'm like yeah that will work or if I'm going away or something I try and do it in spring or summer because mm-hmm. I just know it's going to be better for me yeah. but sometimes it's unavoidable right and but at least I can plan for that then 100% and I think so just to kind of cap, recap if you haven't read that book you should read it oh, it's, it's um, amazing so winter is like your periods mm-hmm. and then as you come out of that it's spring your hormones start to rise and then by summer you're ovulating and you feel so good yeah and it's <laughs> estrogen you feel amazing and when you're ovulating and your libido you, is high you don't get out there get, get out there, that's girl. your hinge date time yeah that's it you actually look more attractive to people yeah, you're, apparently you're more glowing yes like your skin is glowing exactly. and stuff when you're ovulating so that's the time to network get your podcast in but that's because your body is saying I'm ready to get pregnant exactly yeah. it's like let's get out there and meet a partner mm-hmm. and have a baby yeah. let's do this mm-hmm. and then after that we haven't had a baby body's yeah. like fine let's shut down. chill now yeah so then you go into autumn which is deep I dark have, autumn. autumn's my worst autumn sucks we hate autumn well do you know what I feel quite lucky with my cycle because again it's regular and my autumn it's only the very end mm, where I'm getting good. towards. It's probably one or two days before my period, and I am like, "Oh my god, what's happening? Why? Why? Like, I yeah. don't like everything feels so I bad. <laughs> I am going to cry for no reason, but it is only one or two days, and I'm very self aware of it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean, even though this is this is what happened last time. I'm like, okay, I know why I feel like this, but it doesn't mean I don't feel like this. Yeah, <laughs> just because yeah. I know why. Honestly, and once you start to become aware that 
So I have clients that are like, I, I don't know whether to go into therapy. I'm like, look, now give we've got your day. period back. <laughs> give it a week and you'll be in winter. And when your period starts, you'll realize that you're just a bit anxious in that time. So like, modify totally. your lifestyle. I honestly can vouch for that so much. Like I, it was last, because now I'm in spring, it's been about a week, but there's two days mm-hmm. where I'm like, right, I, I, I feel, and I'm like really in tune with myself. I, and I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense. It's my yeah. two autumn days, but it's still quite horrible. It's yeah. still not, even though I know why it is and I know I just need to get through them, it's still hard. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is such an important point that, so men work on a 24-hour cycle. Yes, I've read mm-hmm. this. That, uh, yes. Yep, yep. They work on 24 hours and so testosterone ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the day, have a good night's sleep and they're back. Same yep. thing tomorrow. They, they live spring every day. Every day. And then women are expected to turn up like we're men. Like yeah. we have a 24-hour cycle, but we have a 28-day cycle. Yeah, so we yeah. cannot pretend that we're in summer all the time when totally. we go through deep dark autumn and winter. So we can't pretend that we're mini men. So you have to kind of adapt your lifestyle around your seasons. You know, like plan your you know adventurous well, it's, been, it's actually been quite life-changing. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in winter and autumn that's okay but plan for it change your lifestyle do more yoga and pilates don't do your crazy hit workouts that's exactly what i've do you know what my body's actually needed a week off exercise i'm not done i'm not doing anything yeah. for the next week 100 percent. and you'll respond better to your training by listening to your body exactly. you have to work with yourself not against yourself and i think a lot of what we're taught growing up is don't talk about your period yeah, pretend you don't have it Turn up every day like you're fine and be productive. Do everything now. But your period is so powerful. Yes. Like living around this cycle is powerful exactly. as a woman, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And it's a sign of optimal health. So going through these highs and lows is a good sign that your okay. hormones are good. up and down. They're meant to. We have a 28-day cycle. So work with yourself to manage it. Yeah, and I guess going back to the pill, the pill flattens that doesn't it yes I was very balanced on the pill it does it's an interesting thing I wish there was more education around the pill not to demonize it because yeah, um, it's got its purpose it sure. does it's you know contraception some people have really awful periods yeah exactly and f- for skin it can be used for exactly skin, yeah. so not to demonize it but I think people need all the information yeah and so what it does is it suppresses your endogenous hormones endogenous hormones like estrogen so that's the hormones that we produce ourselves and if we think that estrogen is so important for bone mineral density if we're on the pill for like 10 years which is probably quite common I was yeah exactly Mm -hmm. then that's 10 years without high estrogen so if you think of the graph we've all seen the menstrual cycle graph you know it goes up and it goes down and whatever Um, and if you haven't you can google it yeah google it we can link it yeah Um, if you are on the pill, it's just flat line and then it increases a little bit in your withdrawal bleed when you have that week yep. off and then it goes back down flat line. And even the highest point on that withdrawal bleed of your estrogen doesn't even reach the lowest point really? of your estrogen on a normal cycle. So it's it's low. So you That's why I used to pee all the time. For <laughs> years. Honestly, I did. Yeah. And I don't anymore. Yeah. It could yeah. So interesting. Exactly. And it's just it doesn't give you a lot of the signs that we want to be looking for for optimal energy availability as well. So, you know, there are ways, like even the IUD, the oh, coil, yeah. they're oh. quite good in that um, they are localized hormones and it's more to do with the lining of your uterus than your whole sy- system of so hormones. that means the hormones are just spread to your uterus, not your whole body. Yeah, so it's it's mainly around like keeping the lining to a point where it, you can't implant an egg. 
basically. Yep. And the copper coil is actually just toxic to sperm. So right. the sperm yeah. can't fertilize your I, egg. I just don't want to get that because I just don't want to get it inserted. Yeah. I've just heard just <laughs> horror Trauma. stories. Yeah, horror stories. And like, doesn't it make your period bad? The copper one can make it heavier. Yeah. But the marina, you don't really have, have a period. period. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like I said, contraception 100% has its place. I am, you know, for it, for those things. But yeah. if you want to become a bit more in tuned with your body, the easiest thing is to, to do is, you know, be yeah. not on it. But then obviously be careful. Yeah, we're not going into contraception anymore here. Yeah. But um, no, that is that is something you do have to, because oh, there's so many great apps out there now. And yeah. like my Stardust app, it tells you, or, and I used to use Flow as well, which yeah. was really good. And it tells you when you're fertile. Um, yeah, guys, I'm not going into that, but just, just know when you're fertile and be careful. Yeah. yeah, be careful all the time. Though there are those stories of being like, "Oh, I'm totally, I'm in my autumn, my winter," and boom, baby. Yeah. So you know, Gosh. you still got to be careful no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I will say about the Stardust app, not I'm not trying to plug it here, but yeah. it is really good. Is you can connect your partner to it, so your partner can see your cycle, and it will send him notifications or her, whoever your partner is, notifications oh to say. Word. Hannah might be well, a little bit moody today. Buy her flowers or, today. Yeah, or Hannah's going to be full of life today. <laughs> Go and do something fun. Like, it will send your partner, um, like, notifications of how you're feeling. And I think that's really great because, cool. like, men don't, like, understandably, they don't understand it. They don't know how you're going to be yes. feeling. And they can't imagine it because they don't have a period. Honestly. So, um, I just thought that's actually a really good little touch they do. I love that. partner's up for it. My boyfriend actually is now like, oh, are you, is it autumn? <laughs> is it autumn now? And he's like, that's good. Spring's coming. Yeah, uh, yeah he like, recognizes it. I'm on me. spring. <laughs> yes, you've got to talk to your partners about these because, like I said, men have that 24-hour cycle, so they don't get yeah, it. You yeah. need to talk to them about it. Yeah, and to be fair to them, like they don't have it. So, yeah, educate them. And, if, and then it's up to them to, to follow it up. Yeah. And once they know about it, they've got to make mm -hmm. the effort. And the only other thing I was going to mention, then coming back to the pill quickly, is there is the progesterone-only pill, right? Mm -hmm. Which I also did try for a bit, and it did not agree with me. Yeah, I mean, everyone just responds so differently to yeah. these things. You just got to do what's right for your yeah. body and for you. Okay, great. And obviously this is really loose, not loosely, but like it's linked to your fertility, isn't it? Because obviously you need your period. Yes. To be able to get pregnant mm -hmm. and things like that. So do you do any of that stuff or is that just kind of, it's just an add-on effect of what you do do? Yeah. So I think a lot of people come to me because they're at the stage where they're like, I know I want a baby soon. Right, so I need to get my period I need to have back. a period. And I would say, first of all, don't wait until you want a baby to address your missing period because the longer you have HA, the more likely there, are, there could be long-term consequences to your fertility due to like the thinning of your endometrium, for right. example, the, the lining. Um, I mean, there are still things you could do, but just basically address it immediately because we've spoken about the impact of hormones on the whole body. Um but yes, it's it is reversible, which means that you can ovulate again once you've lost your period, which is amazing. And then there's things we can do to support your fertility afterwards, okay. like through nutrition as well. So, but yeah, my main advice around fertility is address this before you even think about having a baby. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, as you said, when you're, but I feel like people maybe brush it off and say, oh, you know, it takes a few months to get your period back anyway mm -hmm. and, and they still exercise too much or they still do all the things. So, yeah, yeah you, that's something you can really help them with. And what, so you said it's three months. Is that usually what it would take if they really work with you and you can kind of build them their own personalised plan? Is, it, yeah. is, is the average three months it would take to get it back? So it's really case by case. Right. Some girls I've worked with get them back in four weeks. Okay. Some people can take three to six months. Um, Really dependent on loads of factors. So some people want to hit the ground running and they're like, you 
tell me the targets, I'm going to hit them. And they're ready for it, I guess. They're exactly. ready to do what they need to do. Whereas I guess yeah. it depends where you're at mentally as well, doesn't it? Exactly. And so there's, there's so much to unpack. And yeah. when you tell someone to bring their training back, it's really scary for someone. Yeah. Or increase their food intake when they've followed a belief system around food for so long. That must be so hard, yeah. Yeah, so it's about building that rapport and that trust around food. And But some people, when they hit the ground running, they're just like... I don't trust myself anymore to know what the right thing is. So I just need you to tell me what the right thing to do is and I'll do it. So, and that's when all the education around, okay, why is your HA happens and what do we need to change? Some people might be eating enough energy, but they might still have their disordered tendencies. So like a lot of their energy is vegetables, which is, you you know, we do want a lot of vegetables, but you want your starchy carbohydrates because that's the energy source. Or there might be so much fiber or so much protein is a really yeah, common protein, one. Yeah. If you're training, you think you need loads of yeah. protein, don't you? And it's a bit of that like disordered eating tendency where I'll eat loads and loads of protein because it's got a higher um, rate. Of, it, it requires more energy to, yeah. to rebuild your muscle. It. And yeah. All that, yeah. So addressing that and substituting the protein for carbohydrates is a really easy thing to do. And having less fibrous foods all the time, so you're less full all the time, mm. so you can eat more food. And protein's really satiating as well. So bringing that down a little bit allows you to eat more food. So it's not just how it's much basically having food. a really balanced diet. It's just, it? it's what we spoke about straight away, yeah. having a balanced it's, diet. It's, it's crazy how hard that seems to be, though, for, for a yeah. lot of people. And it's because it's not groundbreaking it's not, yeah. or, you know, a quick and fix. And I think there's a big, like, especially for women in society about, you know, I know there's more move to positivity, but there was a thing about being thin. Yes. And I don't, I don't know if that will ever fully go. I know. And I actually think there's so much around this, but I don't believe that people want to be thin because it's how they view themselves. I think it's about they don't want to be treated like someone with obesity or someone that's overweight. It's the stigma that comes with carrying extra weight. I completely agree. And I can relate to that. Like, Mm. if we're honest, growing up, I think I did feel like I didn't want to be overweight, but I do actually feel like it for health reasons now. Like I yeah. know it's a big, it's a big health risk if mm-hmm. you are very overweight and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, do, I genuinely love who, my body now, like, and I, yeah. I nurture my body. And I was going to say, actually, is it is a bit of it where you, with your clients actually building trust back with their body? One hundred percent. Body has to trust you that you're going to feed it. And for so long, a lot of these clients will have ignored satiety cues, ignored hunger cues. Yeah. Ig- Ignored all of these internal cues, and we've spoken about. In what this. are some just quickly? What are the main hunger cues? So, well, there's ghrelin, which is a hormone that makes us feel hungry, and if you have suppressed that for a very long time, then we kind of switch off that connection, and then we also switch off the connection with feeling full, because sometimes you might even eat past fullness if you're binge eating because you've mm, had that restriction, right, okay. or sometimes not even reaching satiety like fullness. So your body just becomes a bit disconnected to itself so working with your body it works like this as well like listening to when you're hungry listening to when you're full and that takes a long time to trust as well so yeah it is a process because if you're you get really hungry and like you're genuinely hungry and then you feed your body your body's like okay when I get hungry I know I'm going to be fed yeah whereas if you're not doing that does your body actually to start with hold on to weight because it's like when am I going to get fed again so this is an interesting concept actually, and it's about um, your resting metabolic rate. So this is why a lot of girls with HA will actually be a healthy weight or weight okay. stable because there might have been initial weight loss that happened, which is the stress response in the body mm. causing your body to be like, oh, I'm a bit stressed. We don't have a lot of energy. Let's switch off what we don't need. Um, but then if you come to a weight stable um, 
like healthy BMI is because your resting metabolic rate gets to a point, it's called adaptive thermogenesis, where it's like, actually, we're going to switch off processes that are energy expensive. We're going to conserve our energy so we can stay this weight because we don't know when our next yeah, okay. meal's coming. Yeah. Um, so you can actually be that healthy weight and in low energy availability still. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily about the hunger, it's more about the energy availability which causes that adaptive thermogenesis. So this is also why people trying to lose weight will plateau as well. Yes, okay, your body that makes sense, yeah. Adapts to, and also if you're like a smaller person, it requires less energy to do things than if you're a bigger person. So there's that interplay as well. This is so interesting. I feel like we could talk about this. Right now, but I'm I'm gonna. I know I've been talking to you for a while now. So okay. So to round off, sort of, what what is the totality of your services that you offer people? Yeah. So now I specialize in helping women re regain their periods, and that is through nutrition. So looking at those three pillars. So it'll typically be increasing energy intake, moderating that exercise. I mean the the blanket guidance is no exercise but okay. the the types of clients you see hard for them, it's right? so hard mm. so we have to manage this in a really realistic way so you know back and forth their non-negotiables my non-negotiables and meeting halfway and then adapting over time um addressing their psychological stress yep. is a huge one but I think straight away the first thing to address before any of that is are you out of that disordered eating space and are you ready for change because what is going to happen is energy intake will go up and expenditure will come down. So just making sure that we're ready for that that change. Um, and then that support around the relationship with food and exercise is so important alongside that. But then also not saying, okay, well, now I've got your period back, you're done. It's making sure we maintain that yeah. three months consecutively. Um, and it's a really sustainable. Okay, amazing. Um, and just to round up then, I ask everyone three questions at the end. Okay. Can I please get a favorite quote of yours? Yes. Um, so this is one that applies to like every aspect of my life, really. And it's don't let the fear of how long the goal will take put you off. The time will pass anyway. Yeah, I love that. Like, yeah, get on with it. Cause yeah. You, yeah. The love time's going to pass. So you love might as well it. be doing something like conducive to your goal. Love it. <laughs> Great. And a book recommendation? So you mentioned it. It's period power. <gasps> yes. I think people don't be. know enough about their cycle and working with their bodies. Yeah. So it's just enlightening. Give it a read, guys. It's yeah. amazing. Um, and a piece of life advice you'd give your younger self. Um, yeah, and this is one I've, I've touched on, and that is work with your body, not against it. Love so it. stop trying to pretend that you don't have this cycle or you don't feel like shit that day. Like, work with your body and you'll get the most out of it. Amazing, thank you. So where can the listeners find you? Uh, my Instagram is probably my main hub at the mm -hmm. moment, um, Nutrition by Han. Love um, it. Posting all things HA and nutrition recipes so I can find me. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Love chatting to you. And I'll put all this in the show notes. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Wholeness with Hannah. I hope you found it insightful and uplifting. And my one wish is that it's left you a little more equipped than it found you. Shout out to my amazing guests and my wonderful producer, Mariana. If you could subscribe, rate and review, I'd love you forever because it really helps the podcast or share with a friend if you think it will help them. You can also follow the pod on Insta at Wholeness with Hannah. Thanks and see you next episode.